You're listening to Torah Classes with Rabbi Mendy Goldberg. This class is a recording from a live class. And we'll soon see, I know we titled the class, Why Salt Not Pepper? But it's a little more than just spices and what you're going to put in your chicken soup. We'll find out. So, there's a very well-known story about a woman by the name of Yehudis Jarufi, or Jarufi, something of that nature, who she was a... Um, she worked in a uh, deli in Tel Aviv, in Kiryat Malachi, which is like a little uh, suburb outside, you know, in Israel someplace. And one time there was a big line of people waiting online to get into the deli. And all of a sudden this woman comes in and she says, please, please, can I skip the line? I'm sorry, I need to skip the line. So all the people around her said, okay, what's the matter? She says, I got to skip the line. My son today is getting his medal for something that he did amazingly. What did he do? Just a few days ago, there was a terrorist that tried stabbing somebody and he saved that kid, he saved that teenager, and he's getting a medal because of it. So please, the ceremony's happening. I gotta run, let me go through. The woman who's behind the counter, the deli counter, says, one second, we said your son's a soldier who saved a, ch- a kid from yeshiva just a, f- a few while back. Can you just tell me who that kid was, where it was? She said, yes. This was a story, you know, it was about, you know, there was a kid, his name was, my, his name was Hananel Jarufi, and he was stabbed in his back, and I was a soldier, and my son was a soldier, and he saved the kid. So the lady behind the counter, her name was Yehudas Jarufi, says, you know that that child that your son, the soldier, saved was my child, was my son. How weird. Well, of course you can skip the line, and you can go ahead and get what you need. All on the house. To which the woman, the mother of the soldier, turns to the lady behind the counter and says, I actually have to tell you, before I go, the other part of the story. He says, 20 years ago, I walked into your store. I was pregnant with my fourth child. I had three girls. And I was worried or concerned or not interested in having another girl. And I decided that I'm just gonna, you know, abort the pregnancy. You convinced me that I should have this child. And guess what? That child that you convinced me to have 20 years ago is the child that saved your child. We talk about helping somebody else, being kind to another person. Not only does it help you, not only does it help the other person, but more than it helps the other person, and helps you. In fact, what we're going to look at today and explore the concept of that charity, being kind, is not an expense, but is the greatest asset and income you can ever imagine. And how are we going to explore that? And to be able to understand this, we're going to have to take apart and understand the story which is discussed in this week's Torah reading. A story, not an exciting one, a pretty dramatic one, one that until today, we still talk about, and even to the extent that are still explorers trying to find that. And that is the story of the story of the, wo- of the woman of Lot, the wife of Lot. What's the t- story with the wife of Lot? And as we know that the story of the wife of Lot was something that she got punished, and she was punished that she became into a pillar of salt. This pillar of salt, until today, there are explorers trying to find or saying that they know where the pillar of salt of what the wife of Lot looks like. But the Torah tells us, and there's a Jewish law, that if a person sees the pillar of salt, they have to say, blessed are you the true judge. 
That means that the Torah says that the pillar of salt of love and of Lot's life is still in existence today. Why did she become a pillar of salt? Why is it from one of the miraculous events that we can still even come upon today? And what happened over here in this whole entire story? Even more so, why did she become a pillar of salt? Why not black pepper? Why not paprika? Why salt out of all the things? And why was she punished with such a terrible punishment that she would become a pillar of salt that until today she's one of the only unique characters of the Torah of those punishments that we can still identify or still look or think where they are? Not only, what was it that the wife of Lot, who was amongst all the people of Sodom, that we know the people of Sodom as we'll soon get to, which their problem was that they were cheap or they were stingy, they did not want to share what they had, they were aggressively against people who were sharing or helping another. But why was she punished with the, with the, with these, with the punishment of being a pillar of salt? Well, as we're going to see, salt has a unique character in it. What's the unique character of salt? A little bit of salt not only preserves your food, makes your food taste really good. Eat salt on its own, it's bitter, disgusting. You can't eat too much of it. Too much salt may even ruin your food. So the same way food, salt within a food makes it better, so too, salt in your life makes you better. What does this mean? Our sages tell us. And the sages use the similar terminology. Melach momoin chaser. Somebody who wants to preserve his money. You want to be able to have the best investment that you can make for your money is like salt. Put it in the foods. Put it in something. Give it away. Take some out and you'll have some salt. Keep too much of yourself. It's not going to taste too good. It's going to be bitter. What this is all about, we're going to explore today. So let's start from the beginning about the people of Sodom. Let's find out what happened to the people of Sodom, to the wife of Lot, and let's explore the story so we can better understand and appreciate what this concept of salt is and why was she punished to be this pillar of salt. So let's start from the beginning. Sodom. What was the city of Sodom and how weird it was it? Sodom, the city of Sodom, as we know, today is around the area of where the Dead Sea is. But then the city of Sodom was a country or a city which was supernatural. The city of Sodom, according to the commentaries or the way in the book of Job it's described, it had gold, diamonds, natural resources more than anybody else. To the right, to the left, to the east, to the south, to the north, to the west, every one of the cities around them was suffering of, of pandemics and epidemics and hunger and starvation, while the city of Sodom was flourishing, their economy was doing the best. They had... I don't know if it's metaphorically or literally, but there was gold and diamonds dripping from the sides of the trees, and they were flourishing in everything possible. They were a city that had natural resources. They were doing wonderfully well. And all of a sudden, the people of Sodom, what happened? They were concerned, that being that they saw that there was hunger to the right, there was hunger to the left, there were people that were not making it on all sides of them. They said, if everybody's going to come to us and take our money and take what we have, our resources, we'll be left with nothing. And therefore they decided they're going to be stingy. And therefore they decided that what we're going to do is they're not going to share 
any of their wealth with any of the people around them. And therefore, their only thing that they were going to do, their solution was, we're going to put a big wall around our gate, around our city. Nobody's allowed in, and we're not going to allow, and not going to be friendly, we're not going to be hospitable, we're not going to allow anybody in. Meaning, instead of taking the wealth that God has given them, instead of recognizing what they had, they unbelievably wealthy. It said, for example, their streets were coated in gold and so on. They said, we're not going to allow anybody in. And over here we see something very unique. Something small, doing something terribly small, eventually evolves into something really bad. You think, eh, it's only a nickel, it's only a dime, it's only this. But automatically you start becoming used to a certain type of behavior, and that behavior grows in you, and you grow into being something evil that you've never imagined. Let's look at the people of Sodom. The people of Sodom at the beginning, they didn't think they were doing anything wrong. They didn't mean to do anything wrong. They said, I live in my place. You live in your place. I don't bother you. You don't bother me. Seemingly, what can be so wrong about it? But all of a sudden, they were capitalists, if you want to call it. But capitalists in the greatest extreme. They didn't think about anything else but themselves to the extent that their extreme selfishness came to the expense that it destroyed them totally. Not only destroyed them, destroyed their rationale, destroyed their perspective, destroyed everything that they had. Ethics of our Father says, one who says, what is mine is mine, what is yours is yours, some say, this is an average person, type of behavior, but some say, this is the behavior of the people of Sodom. Now look at it. A person says, what's mine is mine, what's yours is yours. Seems average. Why does another opinion say that this is the people of Sodom? Seemingly, this is the opposite. One opinion saying, this is the average person, and then the other guy says, that's com com completely opposite. This is the way the people of Sodom behave. The Bartanura, who is one of the well-known commentators on the mission, explains it as follows. And he says, First you start to say, what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours. First you start to say, you know what, I won't bother you, you don't bother me. But then what happens? The anarchy sits in, the type of behavior, the selfishness comes inside, and all of a sudden it's not only what's mine is mine, what's yours is yours, it's not only let live and let live, it's I'm not going to give anything of mine to you. You don't deserve anything of what I have. I'm not going to allow, I'm not going to even think of helping you. And if you come to help me, I'm going to destroy you in any shape and form. Rabbi Lau, the former chief rabbi, in his commentary on the ethics of our fathers, brings it this way. He says at the beginning, it's ha'imer. First a person says. That means you only think about, you know, it's mine is mine and what's yours is yours. But then all of a sudden it becomes the popular behavior. First it's one person saying it. And then the more it becomes popular, it becomes a whole community, a whole city, that they all become part of this idea. Mix me out of it. I don't want to help you. You don't help me. We're, and create a bubble around yourself and isolate yourself from everybody else and not help anybody around you. That's the people of Sodom. One person saying it? Okay, it happens. But when it becomes a whole mantra, when it becomes a mission statement of a city, that's Sodom. The people of Sodom weren't just satisfied by the fact just to be able to build a wall and put a gate around it 
But they also started implementing rules to be able to implement this type of wicked type of behavior. What kind of rules did they implement? They would force people not to give and not to help. If a person was caught helping, they would be killed. If a person was caught in any way, shape, or form to help another person, or even if a person came into their city and made it into their city, the Talmud says, if they were too short, they would pull, stretch their legs to fit the bed. If they were too tall, they cut off their legs. There's a story told about once Abraham, the servant of Eliezer, came to the city of Sodom, and somebody hit him and made him bleed. So he brought him to the court. And the court said, okay, he made you bleed, so therefore now you have to pay him money. So what did Eliezer do? He took a rock and hit the judge. He said, okay, the money that you're supposed to pay, I'm supposed to pay him, you'll pay me, and that's what will be even. But that's what the type of anarchy, the type of crazy behavior these people had. Why? Because they became so entrenched in their behavior of being so selfish and thinking about themselves and not about another person that they created a whole constitution, a whole law about how to be selfish. Until it came to the bitter end. That God said, that's it. What happened? There was once a story about a young woman who she saw a person who was in need of help. And this young woman saw that there was a needed person that was a poor person and every single day she would on the way to draw water from the well. She had hid some bread in her gown, in her robe, and she would feed it to the pauper. The people of Sodom see, hey, this pauper, this stranger here is, is surviving. He's here one day, he's here second day, he's here third day, and how's he not dying? Usually any pauper that came to Sodom died after a few days because nobody would help him. How is this pauper surviving? So what did they check? And they saw that this young girl, every single day when she goes to draw water, she was the one that was giving and supporting and helping this poor person by giving him bread. They said, we cannot allow such type of behavior of helping a poor person. They took the young woman, they smeared her in honey, they hung her on the wall of the city, and all the bees came and ate her and killed her. And her cries went up to heaven and God said, if this is the way people can behave to one another, if this is the way they can be so destructive to a person who helps another, they don't deserve to be around. And with that, God decides, that's it. I'm going to destroy the city of Sodom. Wipe them off, Sodom and Amor. However, before Sodom was destroyed, there was one person living in Sodom by the name of Lot, Abraham's brother-in-law and nephew, that he had to be saved, him and his family. Why? Because Lot was a double relative, as we mentioned. He was a nephew and a brother-in-law of Avram. He was the brother of Sarah. And therefore, Lot, as you can notice, was probably not the strongest person in his morals, not the strongest personality in any of them. And he married a woman who is from Sodom. As we know, a previous behavior already, why Lot ended up in Sodom, was because the shepherds of Lot and the shepherds of Ram had a little bit of a, of a spat, of an argument. The shepherds of Lot believed that because eventually the land of Israel would be given to the Jewish people, they can go and pasture in anybody's field. And they did not put muzzles on their animals. While the shepherds of Avram said, it's not ours now, we have to put your muzzles on our animals. Mm -hmm. And because of that, there was a fight. And Avram said, you go where you want. You go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I go to the right. We can't hang out with one another. And they left. And because of that, Lot saw Sodom. How it was a prosperous and growing city. The economy, the natural resources. 
It was a very wealthy city. His wife was from Sodom, so he had an inn to be able to move there, and therefore he was able to move to Sodom. And therefore, becoming moves to Sodom, Lot moves in as a regular individual, and he makes his way up, and he eventually becomes a judge. He becomes part of the hierarchy in the people of Sodom. He was part of the mafia. He was the one, the arbitrator, who should get what within the mafia of uh, Sodom that was there. Still in all, God says, this guy is lucky. I like his brother-in-law. I like his uncle. He is somebody who is special, and therefore, in the middle of the night, the angels come, and they go to save Lot. And before they want to save Lot, they tell him, the warning, what's going to happen? The city of Sodom is about to be destroyed. Go tell your children, your sons-in-law, your wife, that we're about to leave. His sons-in-law laughed and said, Baloney, we don't believe any of this stuff. And they didn't want to go. But his daughters, they were willing to go, the two daughters that weren't married. And therefore, Lot, his wife, and his two daughters, in the middle of the night, escaped the city of Sodom. And over here we come to what happens. The angel turns around to Lot's wife and his family and says, Listen here, we are going out of Sodom. The city of Sodom is about to be destroyed. No looking back. No turning around. And the Torah tells us, and God made a rain from the heaven, sulfur from it, sulfur and fire. The place was destroyed. But the Lot's wife turned around, looked back, and she became into a pillar of salt. Now over here the Torah tells us something very interesting. Before Lot went and was about to leave, you will notice it says Vaisma Mo, and you'll see like this long zigzag on top of it, like the cantillation which is known for it. Saying that Lot was very, very unsure if he should leave. He was very, very torn. Should he go? Shouldn't he go? Over here, there's a flourishing country. The angels are telling him it's going to be destroyed. Where is he going to go? What is he going to do? The place is going to be destroyed. He thought it's like the flood. It's going to be a world of kaput. What's he going to do? So they'll say, well, where's he going to go from here? How's he going to survive? Maybe I'll just stay here and whatever happens to me, happens to me. But finally, he has slept and he goes and he slept his wife and his two daughters and they go. He tells, but don't look back. His wife is not able to withstand the challenge. She's an original from Sodom and she looks back. And the Torah tells us that she becomes into a pillar of salt. Not only a pillar of salt, but a pillar of salt that according to the words of the Talmud is still there until today. In fact, the Talmud talks about it and mentions it in, in different halachic issues, in different halachic questions. The Talmud in the tractate of Brachas tells us that if a person sees all different types of things that are mentioned in the Torah, talks about the stone that Moses sat on it by the Amalek world, the mountain that had Og wanted to throw, the wall of Yericho, and it mentions about the, the wife of Lot. He says, if somebody sees the wife of Lot, meaning the pillar of salt of the wife of Lot, would have to make two blessings. Number one, Diana is the true judge, and on Lot also remembering the righteous. From here we see something very unique. From all the miracles that are mentioned in that piece of the tractate of the Talmud, the only identity, the stone of Moshe, we don't know where it is, the wall of Jericho, we don't know where it is. And many all the other things that are mentioned here. The only thing that we know today, or if we don't know, at least philosophers or archaeologists are trying to assume that that's what it is, is the pillar of salt of Lot. 
to the extent that the Talmud asks in the tractate of Nida, the men of Alexandria asked from Yeshua Hananya, if the wife of Lot, does she become impure? Meaning, according to Jewish law, something, a dead corpse, becomes, makes somebody impure. It's the highest level of impurity. If somebody was to touch the wife of Lot, that means the pillar of salt the way it is today, would they become impure? Remember, Shuvah Hananya says, only a corpse is something that makes something impure, not a pillar of salt, but she's considered a pillar of salt, and therefore it does not make somebody impure. But the bottom line is that we see over here is that it's something that's still in existence to the extent that archaeologists decide that they say they know what it is. So the question is, number one, why couldn't she look back? Number two, why salt? Why did it even come to salt? And thirdly, why they say, don't look behind your, don't look behind him, just, just don't look back. So what's going on over here, that just because she turned back, that she becomes old? Rashi tells us, why does it say, don't look behind him? And Rashi simply answers and says, listen here, the reason why Lot has to be saved, and why he even ended up there, is because of, your, because of you. So therefore, you should not look back, because it's your fault that many of this happened. Number two, she says, why salt was her punishment, Rashi tells us? Because she sinned with salt. What was the sin that she sinned with salt? When the angels came, they were offered dinner, and they wanted some dinner, some salt with their dinner. She said, listen here, so Lot asked her, do you mind going to the neighbors? They asked for salt. She yells back at Lot and says, not only are you going against the rules of the stand, that you invite guests, you want to also give them salt? I'm not falling in for this. And therefore, she was punished that she was given salt. So the, still the questions and also what's going on over here. The very fact that she was not allowed to look back is telling us that she maybe should have been killed with all the other people with her town. The only reason why she was saved was because she was married to Lot, who happened to be the relative of Avram. So therefore, by her looking back, she, what she's saying? She was looking behind him. She was looking to see what's going on behind Lot. She was punished from salt because since she was difficult, she was really a sadomite. That she did not want to help and feed to somebody else. And it was the guest that she had that she refused to give them salt so she was being punished. But this is all what Rashi explains to us in the simple interpretation. But let's look at it a little deeper. Just because she looked back, does she deserve punishment of death? If she was supposed to be saved, let her be saved. If she looked back, okay. You know, I can think about worse things that she'd done. Even more so, she refused to give the guests salt. Is that the only thing she refused to give the guests? She maybe didn't give them black pepper too. Maybe she should have turned to black pepper. Why is it that we picked the salt out of all things? Maybe spices, paprika, maybe... Had it, why was it only salt that she certainly refused to give guests? It sounds like she was not the nicest person. And she refused to give them other things as well. So she should have became potato. She should have became something else. Why salt? Out of all the things she didn't want to give them. So someone who explain, because if you look at what the Jewish people, what the, I'm sorry, what the people of Sodom were punished, they were punished that they became salt as well. What does that mean? That if you look at the book of Deuteronomy, Moses, Moses reminds the Jewish people about what happened to the people of Sodom. And he says, sulfur and salt rained from heaven and that's the way they were destroyed. The commentaries explain that what happened was that basically what happened, how the city was destroyed, that someone is saying that the water, the clouds, came down 
because it says they came down from heaven. The clouds went up, taking all the mist with it, but leaving the salt on the bottom. And because leaving the salt on the bottom, it destroyed everything that's there, ate up all the stuff that's there and all the things that, that's why today you can't plant and you can't see there. And today the Dead Sea is the place where Sodom was. And that's why that's where all the salt was left in the area. And that's why till today, there's nothing that grows there. It's an absolute desolate place. Of course, they're making nice Dead Sea resorts and all that stuff about it. But around the actual location, that area, if you want to say, where Sodom was, that is nothing that was ever been able to grow and that's how it was all destroyed. So we see over here, so once someone to say that the people of Sodom were destroyed with salt, so too because she was part of the sin of the people of Sodom, so therefore she also had the punishment of salt with her as well. Someone to explain as well, that what's the, what does it mean that she turned, turned back? She was like very, uh, walking very gently. She wasn't running, she wasn't going together with them. So looking back means that she was trying to stay back with the people of Sodom, and that's why she got stuck with them and ultimately turned into salt. The bottom line is, that still in all the questions still remains, because salt, as you can know, is a very big part of Jewish life. Not only is it that you became and stayed into a pillar of salt that archaeologists can still find today, whatever it may be, but even more so, salt in the Holy Temple was brought with every sacrifice. In fact, the terminology is called the covenant of salt, which will be brought on the altar. Even more so, the Tzermach Tzedek tells us, the word salt in Hebrew is made up of three letters. The third Chabad Rebbe explains this a Kabbalistic intuition over here. The word salt is made up of three letters. Men, Lamed, Chet. Which when you change the letters around, make Cholam, Chamol, Mechal. Cholam is a vowel which is all the way at the top of the letter. Telling us, teaching us the highest of all the vowels, the highest of all the letters is represented by those three letters that are in salt. Chamol, which means to atone, to forgive, and mechal also means to be forgive. What is that telling us? That when salt is done, number one, salt goes as a sacrifice. It goes up to God and it asks God to have mercy on the Jewish people as an atonement and to ultimately forgive them on their sins. The Kabbalistic masters take it a step further. And I'm sure you're familiar that every Shabbat table that you take the B'challah and you dip it into salt three times. Why do you dip it into salt three times? So here we here we're going to use some, a little bit of mathematics. The letters men is 40, Lamed is 30, Ches is 8. Is how much? 78. 78. Okay, now that you know multiplication, we're going to try to go to times. You ready? The name of God is the numeric value is 26. 26 times 3, 78. When you dip your bread into salt, you're dipping it in three times, you're dipping it into God's name. What does it mean you're dipping it into God's name? Because when you're eating bread, you think that you're sustained by the bread you eat. The Kabbalistic masters are teaching us that when you dip your bread into salt, what you're in essence is saying that I am living on God's word, God's mouth. Because I dip my bread into the salt, which is the numeric value of three times God's name, which salt is 78. So what we see over here, that salt symbolizes the greatest levels of godliness. It was on the altar. It's a God's atonement, God's forgiveness, God's name three times. And how do you take over here somebody who is the epitome of seemingly evil, and what is she made into? A pillar of salt. How does this work to do? How did the two jive with one another? 
So what does this mean? And this is because at the, at the bottom of all this, there was a brewing debate between Lot and his wife. And the salt is what they were debating about. Lot wanted to give the, uh, these angels salt, while his wife was opposed to salt. What was salt? What is salt? What's the nature of salt? The nature of salt is that when you have it on its own, it's bitter and difficult to swallow. It doesn't taste good. But you put a little bit of salt into food, ah, geschmack. Who doesn't like a good piece of whatever it may be, a chum put a little bit of salt, or a soup put a little bit of salt, or just a little bit of salt, and that's it, your, your soup tastes in a world of a difference. Salt on its own, you can't, you can't touch. And this was the difference. Not only that, you put a little bit of salt into something, it can be used as a preservative. It keeps it going. It tastes into a totally different thing. Lope said, give the angels a little bit of salt. I, when you're giving something, it's going to hurt because you're missing something. It's not yours. I'm giving away something that's mine. I worked so hard. It belongs to me. He says, yeah. But it makes everything else taste better. Well, the wife of Lope said, absolutely not. If I'm going to be missing something, I'm not giving anything away. The bottom line is, I worked for it, it belongs to me, why should I give it away? The same idea is when we look at something in general, in life. Look at it different. The difference between doing something positive and doing something negative. Doing something negative, you get immediate results. Why? I don't do something it's an immediate result. I hope it belongs to me. I don't have to worry about it. And what do they say? From keeping quiet, nobody lost anything, right? You don't do anything. There's no results. There's no issue. You give something. You do something. All of a sudden, it takes time for that pleasure to happen. Take, for example, a person wants to eat a pizza. Something negative might not help him too good. But if he enjoy the pleasure, it tastes good. Is it going to cause weight gain? Is it diabetic? It might not be good fit? Or too much sugar, too many carbs? All the different things that may be hurting him. But right away, right now, he's getting a pleasure. Go do exercise. I what a pain, what a difficulty. It hurts. And all the aches and pains. But there's a long-term benefit for it. The same idea is also when it comes to charity and helping another person. When it comes to helping another person in charity, or anywhere you help another person, at the moment... It could be hurting. I got to take something that I earned, that I worked for, I want it. And you tell him, you're giving it to somebody else. It may be hurtful right now, maybe feeling that I'm losing something right now, but in truth, this is a feeling that you're going to feel that this is going to, it's an investment for the future. You're only going to feel the benefit of it later on. Lot said, I guess we got to give them something. We have to be hospitable. We have to invite these guests. But she said, one minute, oh, it's mine. Why should I give it to the guest? I said, yes, it may be giving something that's yours, but the investment is well worth it. This is what God answered to the, daughter of, to the, to the wife of Lot. He changed her into Lot, into salt, and he made that pillar of salt should be existent until today to remind us of what salt is all about. That salt is like charity, is like salt. Giving and helping another person is like salt. It's a delicious spice. On its own, it seems like that it's bitter. On its own, it seems like it's something which is hurtful. It's going to bother you. But the investment is amazing. 
The investment opens up heavens for you. And this is what the Kliyakar, one of the commentators, explained. Going back onto what we mentioned before, the word melach mamoin, salt your money. What does it mean? You want to be able to preserve your money? Salt it. What does it mean, salt it? Sprinkle a little bit here, a little bit there, give some out. Because that's the way you're going to be able to survive. How is it possible that we can take something which is seemingly an expense and make it into an asset? How is it that charity is able to spice up and is able to make our money so beautifully? And what it is, is because when you give charity, what are you doing? When you're helping another person, you're making God a partner in your business. But not only are you making God a partner in your business, but you're actually returning something that God gave you. But to say it even in a deeper way, God destined that this person should have X amount of dollars. And then he gives bankers that are responsible to give those people the money. And therefore he finds people that are wealthy, making, makes people wealthy, I should say, that they should take the money, that they should then pass it on to the people that he wants them to give the money to. There's a fascinating story about a fellow in Tel Aviv who had a small little tailor shop. And, but he was very meticulous in giving 10% of all his earnings, nicer, made sure everything he earned, he gave 10% to charity. Now, while he was making $5,000, $10,000, $20,000, was easy to give 10%, but didn't end up to amount. But his business was growing, and as his business was growing, the nicer, the 10%, was also growing. So he started becoming the sole importer of Italian suits in Israel, and you can talk about his nicer was in the millions. And to part with millions, he was already uh, not so excited to do. And ultimately, he stopped giving the 10%, as he was always very careful. And ultimately, his business started going downhill. He went to his rabbi and he asked his rabbi, what's going on? Why am I losing my money? And his rabbi explained to him and he said, listen here. You think the money belongs to you? You're just merely a banker. You're the one depositing the money, giving the money to the different people that God wants you to give the money to. If you give the money to the people that God wants you to, that means you were careful in giving your 10%. So God trusted you with the money, he gave you money to give to other people. But the moment he saw that you're not a trustful banker because you're pocketing the money, then he started finding other people to give his money to. And that's why you're not making your money anymore. When God tells us that we have to give 10%, that 10% never belonged to us. We work on a 90% commission. That 10% always belongs to God. We are responsible. We are bankers. We merely have to take the money that God gave us and give it to the people that God wants us to give us, which is the charities and the people in need and helping those. And therefore, when we have, and that's why the Orachai, one of the commentators on the Torah tells us, it says in the verse, in, in the book of Exodus, in Kesef Talavazam, if money belongs to my nation, Esa'oni imach, the poor man that's with you. Meaning, that God is saying that this money that you have, the poor person is with you. That money, they have to then give it over to the poor person that they should be able to have it. It's not your money. It's money that deserves and belongs to the poor person. When this, we go back to what we learned in ethics of our fathers about the four types of people. One that says that what's mine is mine, what's yours is yours, is considered evil. And what happens over here that the Mishnah tells us what's mine is mine, what's my, yours is mine, the Mishnah says is evil. What is the Mishnah telling us? All in the same word. What's mine is mine. What's yours is yours. What's yours is mine. What's yours is mine. Why does it all clump it together? Maimonides tells us that all of ethics of our fathers is teaching us about how a person should behave beyond the letter of the law. And therefore the Mishnah over here is very clear on what it says. 
Ha'oimer, one who says what's mine is mine, what's yours is mine. Meaning, we're not talking about an individual who actually acts so, but he says, when I give you charity, I'm giving you what's really mine. You should feel like I'm helping you and I, you owe me. He says what's mine is mine and what's yours, that means what I'm giving you is really mine. That's evil. That person doesn't recognize that God gave him, he's merely a banker. He doesn't realize that it's all God's. And God's merely using him to hand out his money. You don't own anything. God is merely using you as a funnel to be able to get it to the right place. And the moment the wealthy person believes that he's the one in charge, that he is the one that it says, even though he only says it, he gives the charity, but he says it's mine. That's where he makes the mistake. On the other hand, a chassid, a kind and hearted person says, Shali shalach. What's mine is mine, and what's yours is yours. Meaning, we're not talking about a person that gives away everything he owns and therefore has nothing to live on. He says, what's mine is yours, and what's yours is yours. Take everything of mine. No, he says it. He recognizes that whatever I have really belongs to you as well. Because God merely made me a funnel to help you. And therefore, thank you so much for asking me so I'm able to help you. Thank you for giving me the ability to help you. This brings us back to what the mistake of Lot's wife was by looking back. Over here, what is it telling us? That the wife of Lot was not willing to leave behind the terrible behaviors of Sodom. As they say, you can take a person out of stone, but you got to take Sodom out of the person. She was not willing to leave behind everything, her past, the way they behaved. But she looked back, she says, oh, I want that type of lifestyle. I want to be like the people of stone. And therefore, when she saw stone being destroyed because of their lack of helping other people, she again was thinking only about herself. What am I going to do? How am I going to take care of myself? How am I going to survive? Instead of thinking about another person. She decided she wants to stick to that attitude and be like the people of stone. Just moving locations wasn't going to help her. And therefore, what did the Torah say? We got to change the individual. Changing garments itself doesn't make you a new person. You got to change the person and therefore she had to stop looking back. She had to stop looking behind. And she had to pick up her head to heaven and say, Almighty God, I know you're the one that's saving me. You're the one that's protecting me. You're the one that's going to give me what I need. And therefore, what did God do? He made her a pillar of salt. He made her a pillar of salt recognizing and understanding and appreciating that just like salt, you have it all for yourself. It's bitter, disgusting, and you can't consume it. You'll get sick. You have too much sodium. You have a heart attack, whatever it may be. But you have... You give a little bit here and a little bit there, sprinkle and spice it all over. That's the way it tastes good. The same way by salt. The same way by salt is putting a little bit in each one. It's not necessarily to say, well, I'm not a millionaire. How can I help somebody else? I'm not a millionaire. How can I give charity? It's not about giving millions. It's about that little sprinkle of salt of recognizing that what God gave you, your talents, your qualities, your money, is there to be for somebody else, is there to help for somebody else. When every single one of us has that ability to recognize and understand that the gifts that God has given them, from the wealth to their talents to all the things that they have, is there to be able to share with the people around them, a little bit at a time, just like salt, the way you spread it around, 
Not keep it all in one place, so to speak, and all for yourself. Spread, spread the wealth, as they say. Put a little bit of salt here, a little bit of salt here, helping every single person in the way that you can. You're then ultimately able to make the food taste really good. Make this world a better place. As our sages tell us, great is charity as it brings the redemption. Every single one of us helping people wherever they may be. Giving them a little bit of our own spice, a little bit of our own little bit. A little bit of salt. That's going to bring the ultimate coming of Mashiach might be now. I mean.